So today I'd like to offer a midrash, which is a Jewish term for a contemporary interpretation of a portion from Torah. Torah usually refers to the first five books of the Hebrew Bible. So Noah, who's a character in Torah, and also a young person who lives in Tecumseh, uh, read it for us today, and that's the portion about the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night that led the throng of liberated Hebrews in their 40 years of wilderness wanderings out of Egypt to a place unknown to them. So the wilderness wanderings provide in story form how the Hebrews developed their spirituality. So nothing comes out of nothing, including religious traditions. So Israel adapted elements that were common to their Near Eastern neighbors, things like temples, sacrifices, priesthoods, law codes. This was all part of the um, broader religious tradition in which they were situated, and they just made tweaks on those ad adaptations, and the adaptations are pretty fascinating and significant. And many stories in scripture, uh, actually like the Noah flood story in the book of Genesis, that have their counterparts in the myths of neighboring nations. Um, I, read, I read, I think this happened in 2009, the scholar who decoded an ancient Babylonian tablet and found a story of a flood with an ark that uh, involved animals entering the ark two by two. The, the, the footnote I read is that he um, ran naked through the British Museum when he discovered this. I'm, I'm hoping it was after hours. So um, it's, it's always fun to see what nerds do when they get really excited. So, so the Hebrews, in other words, they weren't um, starting from scratch in their spirituality, but they were developing a fresh take on all these elements. And it was all happening on the fly in a time of great uncertainty, according to the uh, book of Moses, or book of Exodus, sorry. They knew where they'd been, but where they were going or how to get there were completely unknown to them. So, you know, to me, it's kind of ironic side note here. Often the adjective biblical is really an attempt to create an illusion of certainty in a world of uncertainty and impermanence, which is our world. Whereas our sacred writings, in fact, bear witness to a spirituality that was forged in and suited to uncertainty and impermanence. So when the 40-year wandering time was over, the Hebrews actually had the making of, a, of, of such a spirituality. Um, it had features that were designed for impermanence and for uncertainty. They had a portable sanctuary. They had a simple code of ethics that required interpretation, revision, elaboration over the years as they faced new situations. And they developed this attention to a pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night, which we'll get to soon what that signifies. So the pandemic, of course, has stripped away many of our illusions of certainty, um, like the idea that we can easily uh, predict the future. So many things about our situation that were once givens have been taken away. We don't yet know what will take their place. Um, when our illusions of certainty and permanence are stripped away, we usually enter a state of disorientation. Um, we're not going from known point A to known point B, we're, we're wandering. It feels a lot like getting lost in the initial stages. I, I have a gift, I have a gift over my lifetime of getting lost. Um, I think one of my few 
preschool memories is I was separated from my mother in a department store in Detroit, Hudson's or Montgomery Ward. Next thing I knew, I was sitting on a counter with a nice lady asking for my name. And it was uh, spoken over the loudspeaker. That, that was a harbinger of things to come memory. I, I got lost. Uh, I went to a retreat center in uh, Clarkston, Michigan that had a golf course uh, attached to it, a Jesuit retreat center. And before the retreat began, it was like early evening, I took a walk on the golf course and um, I'm wandering around and I realized I have no idea how to get back to the retreat center. And it was surrounded by woods. And I'm like, what, what do I do? And then, then it was getting dark. And I was like, I was, it was a little momentary st stationary panic moment, I admit. And finally, I figured out to uh, go to the edge of the golf course and just walk in a circle, keeping the wooded edge to my right. And it turns out I had started like very close to the entrance that led to the retreat center. I walked all the way around the golf course to get back to my great re relief. I, I got lost visiting my daughter, Amy, at her new home in Connecticut several years ago. Um, I went out for a walk while Amy was at work. I lost my bearings. I realized I didn't have her address and I hadn't paid close attention to the street name even. Hmm, Amy was at work. I was too embarrassed to call her. I called my son who had me read the, um, I thought this was genius, read the nearest intersection street sign. And so he located the intersection on Google Maps, read off the street names in the area until one rang a bell and walked me home by phone. Um, if you're, if you're not directionally challenged, you might think, how is that even possible? How does this person make it through the world? Uh, I, I prefer to focus on my calm in the situation after my panic. So now picture a throng of thousands of refugees from Egypt rushing away from their captors into a wilderness without any roads, any signs, any maps or GPS devices. What I love about the tradition of Jewish Midrash interpretation is that um, irreverent questions are encouraged and often lead to the best, um, best interpretations, irreverent questions. So if uh, one irreverent question that's asked by the rabbis is, wait a minute, if the people were led by a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night, and that was the experience for the whole 40 years, why did a journey of 400 uh, miles take them 40 years? I mean, was God lost too? Uh, so it makes you wonder. Maybe getting from point A to point B in the shortest possible time wasn't really the goal here. If the task is developing a new spirituality from existing elements, maybe it takes three generations, you know, parents, children, grandchildren, or roughly 40 years to do that. So both realities can coexist. They were led by a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day, and they were wandering around in circles for 40 years. You know, in, in our goal focus, plan your life out mode, we, we think in linear terms. So it's like, you know, in my 20s, I'll figure out what to do with my life. In my 30s, I'll have that figured out and I'll settle down. In my 40s, I'll be well into mastery of whatever it is. I, I wonder, by the way, how many people have turned 40 
this past year. What a what a crazy year to have turned 40. Um, I'm sure when you turn 40, you were like, oh, yeah, my life is completely gone according to plan. It, it doesn't tend to do that. We experience life more in a wandering than in a liter- linear mode. Um, isn't there a thing called spiral dynamics? I don't know anything about it. I just heard about it. This wandering model comports with our experience, our actual lived experience, especially when our comforting illusions of certainty and permanence are stripped away as they have been lately. So the wandering part we get, but where does the pillar of cloud uh, by day and the pillar of fire by night come in? What does that signify? Um, What if these are mystical symbols, um, as they are in Jewish and many other traditions, fire and cloud? um, A sense of divine or transcendent connection is often associated with uh, fire and with clouds. Abraham encounters the voice that has been guiding him in a nighttime encounter that involves fire and cloud. Um, Moses on Mount Sinai encounters the voice within the context of fire and cloud. Jesus on Mount Tabor, uh, Mount of Transfiguration, along with James, Peter, and John, hear the voice surrounded by fire. Jesus' uh, clothes are like lit up like the sun and in the context of a cloud. Ezekiel saw the wheel, I think, um, in the context of fire and cloud. Isaiah saw the Lord in the temple in the context of fire and cloud. Neither fire nor clouds have uh, sharply defined boundaries. So certain modes of human understanding don't either. Anything involving intuition, gut feel, anything that's like hard to name or pin down is a mode of being that we engage with a part of our mind in concert with our body, the part that doesn't do arithmetic. Although I think speaking for Joseph uh, Johnson, who does advanced math, I think advanced math, if you know what you're doing, can be kind of mystical. I don't want to like categorize mathematicians as non-mystical. So let's call it arithmetic um, or spelling, I guess, or Excel sheet, uh, spreadsheets. This is a mode of our being that we engage with things like imagination, with stories, with dreams, with intuition. Problem is like for 500 years, much of Western culture has been suspicious of all this, even, even held it in contempt. Uh, colonialism uh, trampled indigenous culture steeped in intuitive wisdom, highly refined and field-tested old way wisdom that went back to our deep past as hunter-gatherers where your life depended on being a highly attuned to your body and to things like intuition. I heard an interview uh, with Annie Murphy Paul, uh, not the poof, Annie Murphy, but Annie Murphy Paul, um, I think she's a cognitive scientist. She's the author of The Extended Mind, The Power of Thinking Outside the Brain. The Extended Mind, The Power of Thinking Outside the Brain. So that that line from the Sarum Prayer that we just prayed, God be in my heart and in my uh, uh, thinking, is thinking outside the brain. So Annie Murphy Paul says there's so much data streaming at us at any one time that our conscious brain uh, can only register a small portion of it. The rest comes through the non-conscious mind 
and registers in the body. She calls it uh, interoception, inter, interoception, like not perception, but interoception, awareness of internal states of the body. So she says the body is registering patterns and all sorts of meaningful things that are not part of our conscious brains. So how do we access what registers with the unconscious mind through the body? Well, through things like intuition, which requires attention to the body. You have to notice how your body's feeling to, to um, pay attention to that way of knowing called intuition. So we have a gut feel. That's the body signaling us with something the body noticed that the conscious brain wasn't paying attention to, or maybe it pops up in a dream. Uh, two weeks ago, I had a dream of my departed wife. Lovely dream because she was telling someone off who needed it. And I didn't have a chance to at the time that this dream was uh, referring to. Uh, and, you know, you had to have known her. Nancy had just the coolest way of telling someone off. <laughs> and, and, and the willingness to do it, um, I witnessed it a, a few times. And it, it was, I got to say, it was glorious. Um, for, for, for me, that dream functioned like a, like a, I imagine a chiropractic, uh, back adjustment does and never had one myself, but something just like clicked for me psychologically. I wrote the details down, uh, in the morning and it wasn't until a week later that I realized I had that dream on July 11th, which would have been our wedding anniversary. So the body knew what the conscious brain didn't. That's interoception. So doesn't it make sense that the divine wisdom would show up on this dance floor, so to speak, uh, the realm of clouds by day and fire by night? So for me, intuition feels uh, different during the daytime than it does at night, oddly. Um, daytime intuition is sometimes, you know, the positive sort is like a little flash of inspiration. Oh, wow, I see something and it's, it's kind of exciting. At least for me, uh, nighttime, except for like cool dreams, like I mentioned, which I, I wish they'd happen a lot more, but they don't for me. Uh, it comes when I wake up in the middle of the night and have to ponder something that I've been ignoring. And it, it's kind of like an unpleasant experience when it happens. Um, you know, when you're facing big life decisions or transitions or puzzling through some problems, when when you're on the verge of some new thing in your life, you, you, you just have to go with the body, how the body works. I, I can't just sit down with a yellow pad, write out pros and cons and think my way through it consciously. The phrase, I need to sleep on it is a way of saying, I can't just think my way through this. So Annie Murphy, Paul uh, calls this looping, uh, or I think she quotes a philosopher of mind who calls it looping. Maybe you write something down, but um, then you're, you're stuck. Uh, so you take a walk, you, uh, you focus on something else, and your body and non-conscious brain do their thing. Uh, later, you pass your half-formed thoughts by someone else. You run it through the, their brains, and something they say in response sparks a new insight on your part, and then you set it down for a week or a month. You're, you're, you're watching something on Netflix and it moves you and you realize it's clarifying something for you, for this thing that you're working through. 
So we're not computers that operate in a linear fashion, input the data, work the complex algorithms, generate the response. We're biologically evolved embodied beings. And so we loop when we do these things, a lot like the Hebrews looping their way to the promised land rather than walking in a straight line, almost done. And the divine presence, fire by day, cloud by night, was with them in their loopy lives, so to speak. So um, there's a meditative practice that helps us to tune into the wisdom that comes to us through interoception, involving the unconscious mind that registers in the body. Um, spiritual practices is like gardening or farming or parenting. Uh, it's growth, incremental growth, barely noticeable in the moment, if then uh, through recurring practices that you just do. Uh, oh, sometimes there are growth spurts, but mostly there are things that you do because you learn that it's necessary or helpful, uh, usually from someone else. And so you, you just do them. The meditative practice that aids introception, uh, that tunes us into our bodies and so that we pay attention to things like intuition um, is, you've probably guessed it, it's a, it's a body scan. We've, we've done body scans a number of times on Sunday. So uh, Diane Sanda is gonna lead us in a meditation using, using a, a body scan. So take it away, Diane. Before we begin, let go of the past and the future and bring your awareness to the present moment. Breathe. Let go of any tension. Where do you feel your body touch the ground or the chair? Notice areas of hardness that you can soften. Settle in. Notice your shoulders and neck. Release the tension. Set your intention and try to meet your body with friendliness and without judgment. When your mind begins to run, gently bring it back to the body. Okay, we'll begin. Imagine you're taking a tour of your body just to see what's there. No need to move or visualize the parts, just notice each part one by one. Let's start with your left foot. Are your toes colder than the rest of your foot? Can you feel where your heel touches the floor? Do you have a sock or a blanket over you? Notice the weight and texture of the material. Once you scan over a body part, allow that part to fade from awareness. Let it go. Now move your awareness to the next part of the ankle, the calf, the knee, the thigh. Cross over your lower, lower torso and travel down the right leg. Start again at the right foot. Can you feel your toes? the texture, 
the floor. Continue to travel up past the ankle, the calf, the knee, the thigh, up through your torso. Breathe. Scan through your shoulders and neck up to your head. After you reach your head, you'll want to connect the entire body together. Breathing deeply, you can feel your head connected to your neck, connected to your torso, connected to your arms and legs. The last step is to feel the skin. Notice the sensations, the temperature, the texture of your clothes. Breathe deeply. Feel your physical wholeness without judgment of right or wrong. Just experience your bodily wholeness. Breathe a few last cleansing breaths. Now we'll move into a time of candle lighting and communion.